0: July to all 'all. y'all. I haven't been here yet in July. My wife and I and our whole family took a wonderful two-week vacation to rest and play and rest in a beautiful mountainous non-hot Texas region of the nation called Oregon. Uh, It was funny when we were up there, my kids were complaining about the cold while simultaneously the Oregonians were complaining about the heat. So, moral of the story is no one gets to be happy, I guess. But, uh, except here we heard good things here. People were happy and joyous and powerful here. Jarrett preached here. Ben preached here. I'm excited about what God's been doing here and stepping into that. Uh, we're in week 7 of 12 of our unshakables series. We're going to get right to the Word of God right now. Uh, These are the 12, or these are at least 12 non-negotiable pillars of the unshakable, storm-proof Christian life. So we're talking about things all summer that also track with the 12 chapters of the Purple Book, which we've made available to you for free, that you can go through our Purple Book workbook, our Biblical Foundations workbook, and reinforce your own foundation, and do it for you, and for your children and your children's children and the people around you, you are a minister of God and you can reinforce your own foundation. Now, if, you've, if you're tracking, if you're on time in the Purple Book, you should be about halfway done this summer, either on chapter 5, 6, or 7, seven somewhere in there. Uh, if you're not at that place and you're a little behind, there's grace for you. If you haven't started yet, there's almost not grace for you, but there's still time. I'm telling you, if you do 20 minutes a day, one or two lessons sometimes a day for the next six weeks, you can catch up. But that's probably not something I'll say next week. So go and at the end of our service, we have Purple Books available to you for free. It was a cost to us, but it's available to you and it just costs you your time and devotion and God will bless you for it, okay? So I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet with me to get to God's word. We honor God's word. I'm actually going back to chapter two of Acts. Uh, This is the third time this summer I've gone back to chapter two of Acts. This is the, what a lot of people believe is the birth of the church at the preaching of Peter at Pentecost. And here's why I go back frequently and why I think we should go back to the birth of the church quite often when we're talking about foundations. Uh, Jesus actually corrected wrong Jewish adherence, uh, errant adherence to Jewish religion by going back to first things, is what theologians call it. He would often say when talking about marriage, for instance, in the beginning it was not this way. Well, similarly, I think I need to correct my errors in Christian adherence, in ours, by going back to, well, this is how things were. And if we aspire to this and we have the living God inside of us, the Spirit of God moving in us, we can actually grow in this for His glory. So I'm going to ask you, as we go to God's Word and I read something I've read three or four times this summer already, I'm going to ask you to put on the throne of God in your heart what you think and what you presume. and Maybe what habits you have with church. Uh, The title, the topic we're talking about today is Being Unshakably Together. And we're talking about the pillar of church and fellowship. Unshakably Together. Starting with verse 36 of chapter 2. Peter says, Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus, whom you crucified. Now, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. And they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what should we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you. And for your children, and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord God calls to himself. And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So, verse 41, those who received his word were baptized. And there were added to that day about 3,000 souls Verse 42, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of the bread and the prayers. And all came upon every soul, and many signs and wonders were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together. Everyone say together. together. And had all things in common And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together, say together, and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day, those who were being saved. God's word. Thank you. Y'all can be seated as we pray. God, please add a special blessing to the reading of your word. Draw us unto yourself, God. And as you draw us to yourself, draw us truly and vitally and powerfully together. Not symbolically, not partially, but draw us, God, together. It's something only you can do. And Lord, I also ask that uh, you would give a special grace uh, to our brothers and sisters meeting right across the street. Can you extend your hands to your left, my right? But I thank you for the heart, this church that now meets right next to us. Lord, we pray for multiplication and for power and for new leaders and for, for, for new believers today. We bless them in Jesus' name. Draw us together for your glory. Amen. Thank you. So, y'all... As I was reading through this passage and preparing for my message this week, early on in the week, I read through this passage, and initially I got uh, wrote down seven or eight different things and kind of labeled them seven or eight ways to uh, participate in the life of the local church. And so I was preparing to share that message with you, and yet... A few days ago, the more I researched into this and and looked up some of the meaning of the words and and meditated on Scripture, the more I realized that I really only am going to preach one topic today. Uh, Here's where I I came to. I I started making a list at verse 42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, uh, to fellowship, the breaking of bread, and prayers. And fellowship was one of my four things that I had on my list. But as I research and look look through the whole thing, really fellowship, even though it's listed once, fellowship is really the theme of this whole passage. And so what I'm going to do is share a message about fellowship with you. And there's six or seven other things that describe and qualify what fellowship is. Now, the word fellowship uh, is as translated in verse 42, it simply means, uh, it's, a, it's a word in the Greek that's koinonia, and it means, literally, uh, it just means uh, communion, or uh, fellowship, uh, joining together, joint association, joint participation, um, and even though the word's only mentioned once literally, the whole thing talks about all those things. So that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to challenge us and challenge some of our habits and uh, the things that we've grown used to and think maybe are okay in regards to what real Christian fellowship is. Now, if you were paying attention to the verses we read, I hope you see that it was somewhat strange. And I hope you at least see that we're kind of not like that as much anymore. Would you agree? I'm not. So here's what I want to do. When I preach about fellowship, I want to preach aspirationally, not accusationally. Here's what I mean. I'm not saying, man, why aren't you like this? Because I'm not quite like this. I aspire to be like this. It's my aspiration to grow And if I believe in God, and he's going to sanctify me and grow me to be more and more like this, and less and less like I grew up, or indicative of the culture I'm in, the subculture of the kingdom of God and how we fellowship together, how we participate together, is an aspiration that the Holy Spirit is pleased to help us to grow unto together. Amen? Okay, so I'm going to preach aspirationally, not accusationally. So if we back up a little bit, verse 41, just one verse before, it says, those who received Peter's word were baptized, and there were added to their number about 3,000 souls. Now, I love how this verse kind of serves as a launch pad from some of the other topics like baptism and repentance stuff that we had last week, and serves to talk about what we're talking about today. Uh, it says, you can, the, the word in this is implied all. So you can imply this in verse 41. So all those who received his word were baptized and were added. Now you might say, they were added to what, Pastor Peter? Well, thank you for asking. They were added to the strange and peculiar group of people that did the strange and peculiar things that we see in the verses following. That The descriptives of what we saw, that's the people they were added to. All of them. All of the people who believed were baptized and started behaving in this peculiar way. That's the people that they were added to. When you're made alive in God, you're united together with other people who are also alive, formerly dead people. You're added together to a people, a people that's more profound and profoundly, your people, then your ethnicity, your nationality, your party choice, or anything else. You're a new people. You're added to that people when you're made not dead and alive with God. That's the people you're in. You're bonded to a multitude of the redeemed. Together. Everyone say together again. Now, I want to just speak very clearly, though. Here's one of the problems with our culture that we need to aspire to that and shake certain things off. I think sometimes we often are more known by our American kind of consumer culture than we are by this descriptive that we should aspire to. The togetherness that we see in the word of God. And that troubles me about you and about me. I'm troubled enough to sit up here and preach to you. And ask God to be with us and make us truly more together than we're seeing so far. See, I think our culture stands in direct contrast with what we're seeing here. Where we treat, we're accustomed to kind of engaging everything in life kind of on our own terms. Because we kind of treat everything like we're consumers. Whether it's school Uh, Or the jobs that we kind of market ourselves for, or I mean just buying groceries, or how we engage in business, or in entertainment, or in life, or sometimes friendships, and sadly even church, we do it on our own terms, and it's more indicative of consumer culture sometimes than together culture that we see in the Bible. But please hear me, church. God's church is, an organi- is not an organization, it's a people. It's a peculiar, beautiful, unshakable group of people who are and ought to be more together by the spirit of the living God. We're not just an organization that sells religious goods and services for you to consume. Be like, okay, that was good. Now I'm going to go kind of do my next thing that I've compartmentalized in my life. That's why the original believers, they started to worship God on the first day of the week. They gave their first fruits of the week, their Sunday, to God. It was a strange and peculiar thing then. Now we're just kind of used to it. We are still meant to fundamentally have our identity, our togetherness, be first and foremost being a part of God's house, of his people. And yet I think the way we kind of see our schedule in life sometimes we kind of just fit church and and his people, is what I mean, kind of into our lives. And I think we should stop that. I don't think you're... The church is not supposed to just be a part of your life. Your life is supposed to be a part of the church. We get it backwards a lot. We're supposed to be a part of a peculiar people that does strange, amazing, miraculous things And that people helps to energize us for how we train our family and then we lead other peoples into this people and then we die. And it's a wonderful life. We shake off all the other lesser worries about money and housing and all those things. But to be quite honest, that's not how you act. And it's most often not how I act either. So God help us. The way we're supposed to be together is supposed to be so strange that it's kind of correlates with the strange things we believe about a God who lived a perfect life and died a sacrificial death and rose again from the dead. Like, we believe this weird stuff, and, you know, we act in this weird way in our togetherness. That's what our church life should be like. Every bit as strange and wonderful and transcendent as our faith. In fact, the purple book in chapter 7, that some of y'all have read and the others are about to, uh, says this dynamic statement connecting Christian faith to Christian community. says, the church is the only legitimate setting for living the Christian faith. No long-term lone ranger can be a true disciple of Christ. All who truly desire to follow Christ must find their place in a church family. Y'all, if you try to live out the Christian faith without the local church and being committed to being a part of a local church. You're like a quarterback who tries to play and advance on the field without an offensive line or you know receivers or a running back. You can actually do it. You can play like that. You just will mess yourself up and you will not win. So hashtag don't be a loser. Be a member, be a participant at the core, growing in your commitment, your participation, your fellowship with Christ. I will never forget 2002, uh, I was uh, kind of fresh in my mind was what am I to do with my life and what am I supposed to, you know, what am I supposed to be, right? And, And of course, in my mind because I was a typical millennial American. I thought it was supposed to be something new and out of the box, and I thought everything about my job and nothing about the church or any of that stuff, right? So I go to this concert. Uh, It was between my freshman and sophomore year of college, 2002, and uh, I think, I don't even remember the name of the band. The band was opening for third day, Uh, and this guy made a statement. He said, would you rather? He played the would you rather game on me, would you rather be a huge part of something small or a small part of something huge? And I just asked God, God, change my rather. Would you rather? Because I, if I were to be honest with myself, the way I was living my life and what was in my heart, I would rather be a huge part of something small. But I said, God, please change that. And then the next year, I got connected to the church that helped us plant this church. Uh, And I am so pleased that I can be a part of something happening in every nation. And I don't have to go to every nation to see that happen. And I'm talking about the kingdom of God and not just our ministry. I want to be a small part of something huge. And you know what? That statement was made before all the... That that concert happened before a lot of the research about the millennial generation came out. And how much more provocative is it today? We are meant to be united and together in something that's way bigger than your calling, your worries, your fears, your finances. But we share burdens and we share mission. That's what the church is. In fact, this whole passage talks about this, but check out verse 44. It's probably one of the most descriptive passages about fellowship, and it doesn't use the word fellowship. Verse 44 says, All who believed were together and had all things in common. I think it's apropos for us to read it together. Let's do that. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. So functionally, let's break this down. If you believe that Jesus died for your sin and rose again from the dead, and you're a new person, if you believe you are functionally you will be, functionally and vitally together with other believers. Okay? That's, that's going to be kind of how your life looks. But let me let me just actually take it a step further and kind of read that in reverse. If your life, in Eve, Sunday, but also other than Sunday, if your life shows that you're not together, functionally, with other believers. It's either because you're not a believer or you're just missing a huge part of the whole belief thing. Does that make sense? Because when we believe in him, we know our own weakness and we know the, own glo- the, the beautiful glory of how he is, saves us and how he provides for us a way to grow together with other people. All who believed were together together. And had all things in common. Faith in Jesus Christ, it's personal, but it's not private, and it's not individual. Faith plays out together with other believers. Another way of saying it is, when you believe, you will belong. When you believe, you will belong. We we do this together. Now, I hope a lot of you, in fact most of you, feel something so far and something more than just guilt. I hope you feel conviction, as I do. Because if you think that you already, you know, if you're not concerned at all, th- then you're not paying attention. Because I don't think any of us have met this aspirational way of living together yet. And none of us should be just comfortable where we are. It's impossible to be comfortable with where you are, and yet aspiring to grow to where God's taking us at the same time. And so part of that pain, of that discomfort, is that you're saying, man, the contrast of how I'm living my life with what I see described here gives me a little bit of sanctified discomfort, what I like to call Santa Presión, holy pressure. All of us should be feeling that. To be quite honest, I've been feeling this all week. Like, God, I treat this church so often more like my job than I do with the joy that I see in your word. And it's been difficult to read this over and over again and say, God, help me. But honestly, I'm qualified to preach this to you every bit as much of for the fact that I need it as much as you do. I treat this church so often like, okay, it's my job. Now, there's something good about that because I need to be responsible when I clock in and be faithful to God and grow in that. But my greatest responsibility in this church starts when I clock out. Because I get to be a member of the kingdom of God, a member of the body of Christ at large, and a member of this church and I'm something so much more than just what I pressure myself with, which is not from God, where I often try to feel like this is my church and not God's church. And so I start to act like I'm the, you know, the chief marketing officer of the church, saying things just right, or, or uh, trying to be a church public relations representative. No. No, I need to be faithful to God and to lead in something that's way beyond my nine to five or whatever. I need to grow and aspire to this like you do. I've heard people tell me before, you know, you don't have to be committed to a local church, you know, to, to know, to follow God. Anyone ever heard something like that? I hear it like almost every other week. Well, technically, that's, that's true. That's technically, that's true. Like, you can believe in God and, and, and not necessarily follow Him in this area. But listen, God will still love you Even though you reject parts of who he is, but he's not going to love you so that you reject parts of who he is. His love for you will grow for you to aspire to be more united to him and thus inextricably more connected to others together. It's like this if my eight year old daughter Hadassah came up to me and said, Daddy, Oh, I'm, you know, she just uh, spent a little extra time with my mom, her grandma in Oregon. Now she comes back and she, what if she said, Daddy, I've been realizing, since I've been away from my other siblings, I've been realizing just how much I love you. And I just, I so want to be your daughter. You're still my daddy. But I've decided that my brothers and sisters are no longer my brothers and sisters anymore. It's just gonna be me and you, okay? First of all, hopefully she'd never think anything like that. But second... I would say, sweetie, it doesn't work like that. (laughs) And we can laugh at that, but so often way too many people who call themselves Christians act like that in the body of Christ. God gives us himself and then he brings us united with others. St. Cyprian uh, was a third century North African bishop. This man was among a host, a whole bunch of black men serving as leaders in the global church decades before there were any white converts, uh, substantially, by the way. St. Cyprian famously said this. He said, you cannot have God for your father unless you have the church for your mother. Don't tell me you follow Christ. Show me your togetherness with other people. And if you're not showing that, then confess your sin and allow God to restore that for you and grow you in it. So this togetherness, as I said, it plays out in a few other areas. And so I want to just show you how these other areas, before we leave, how these other areas can play out with togetherness. And here's the reason why I really mostly just taught on fellowship. Because all these other things that I'm about to list and mention, you can technically do on your own. But you're not meant to do this on your own. It's not really church if you do these other Christian things on your own. Okay? So the, the, one of the things that they devoted themselves to, we see in verse 42, is they devoted themselves together, as implied, to teaching to fellowship, uh, verse 42, there we go, uh, to the breaking of bread and to prayers. So teaching, first and foremost. Technically, you can go and, and look at all sorts of teaching in the information age and get all sorts of really good teaching uh, in podcasts and stuff just at home by yourself. But that's not the same as what they're talking about. It says they devoted themselves together. There's something powerful about us being together in the same room, looking at our beautiful faces. In fact, look around. Look how beautiful. Look what I get to look at right now. And we're together under the authority of God's word, growing in this. Not just here, but this is one of the reasons why I've, uh, it's been my passion for us to study God's word in what we preach, the same topics, the same scriptures, in all of our growth groups. And even this summer, while we're not having regular sermon growth groups, we're still doing the same thing because we're going over the exact same topics in our purple books. And if, by the way, if you need to do that together with someone else, all of our purple book leader, all of our growth group leaders have been available to go through the purple book with you all summer. If you don't know, just write down uh, your name on a connection card and say, I need someone to help me with the purple book. I've been meeting with different men all summer with that. And so we can meet together. But the point is, is that we study and we grow in God's word together. There's, there's something powerful about doing it on your own. That's fine to do it on your own. But what this is talking about is growing together in the apostles' teaching. Number two, communion. It says, verse 42, they, they broke bread together. Now, it says breaking bread twice in this whole passage. I think it at least means the, the, sacra- the sacrament of communion that we do together ceremonially or whatever together in church. Now, Jesus says, as often as you uh, come together, do this communion thing in remembrance of me. Now, I think I know a lot of my Catholic friends who really focus on that as often as you come together thing. Um, I think it's probably more important to understand the remembrance part. Because it's not like, oh, I see you in HEB tomorrow afternoon. Oh, (laughs) We came together, we got to take communion now. No, that's not the point. The point is that we frequently and regularly remember that the only reason we have any sort of togetherness is the price that Jesus paid. And if we can't remember that, we won't have any togetherness. Sadly, I know a lot of people, Christian friends, who have unknowingly or knowingly, veered away from the essence of faith, and they'll say things like, man, Christian faith is just about fellowship. And ironically, they, they value the things that we've shared today in name, but the things that found those things, they don't. So they'll say things like, man, Christian faith is supposed to be about fellowship and community, not just about dogma. Well, it sounds good, right? But if you don't value the the doctrines of faith and the gospel of Jesus that singularly allows the type of fellowship that we can actually be together and see wounds healed ethnically, familiarly. If you don't see the body and blood of Jesus and re- regularly remember that as a foundation, we won't have a togetherness. That's why as often as they came together, they, they broke bread in each other's homes. It was intimate. We need to remember the body and blood of Jesus so that we can continue to grow in glorifying Him and be actually truly together. For us, we do it uh, regularly. We do it about once a month for now, but that's important that we do it regularly, that we remember the reason why we can come together and that we preach the gospel all the time, because everything is a gospel thing. Number three, we see prayer. They devoted themselves to the fellowship and to the prayers, the breaking of bread. Now, I, I see that when we have our growth groups, we have dis- sermon discussions in each of them, but I think the secret sauce is when we regularly pray together. It's really simple, and it's really profound. We pray together. Every person in our growth group, if there's three people there, or if there's 15 people, 20 people there in one of our growth groups, or uh, whatever, we, we have the thing we call needs and names. Everyone present, is to pray for a certain need that they have. And then also, we pray for a name of someone that's not present. We pray for names of people who are not present in our church, in our growth group, in any church, and ask that God would bring them in to our fellowship. And God does. Some of y'all are those names from last year and this year. We regularly pray together, and we pray for others. Uh, This summer, I encourage you again... Get with friends. Pray with them. I'm encouraging everyone here. I'm inviting everyone that every Sunday at 9 a.m. at this church in our nursery room, we have a team of people that prays. We pray together. We, we pray for, for God to be glorified. We confess sin. We pray for the service. We pray for the church. We do it regularly. And you know what? A little snapshot, a little preview that we'll share more in the, in the coming weeks. We've had some amazing prayer meetings as a church wide prayer meetings this year, and the simplicity and the, the profound power that's been involved in our prayer meetings the last several times we've done it has led us to know that we need to do it more often. We're probably going to start doing it monthly this fall. More to follow on that. The next thing we see on this list is awe. Verse 43 And all were in awe. We're meant to stir one another stir one another up when we come together to love and good works. Can you be in awe alone? Yes. But there's something unique about coming together and stirring each other up. Now, I was led to Christ in 1997. I was 14 years old. Uh, Some of my friends talked to me about Jesus and exposed to me that the things that I thought were cooler than Jesus were pretty silly and evil and wicked, and Jesus made me new. And I was a part of the local church right away, and people a part of men confessing sin together. And that's just, it was the togetherness thing was, was amazing to me. Well, the next year I'd noticed that whenever I'd miss the men's group or church, like, I struggled. Any, anyone know what I'm talking about? Like, I slowly got a little bit more irreverent in my jokes. And, and I got into old habits again and stuff. And I remember myself thinking, this. It was a silly thought. I remember myself thinking, man, I need to get my faith to the point where I'm not so dependent on other people so that if I miss church a few weeks, I can still be okay. And I remember for years aiming at that and it never quite worked out. And here's the reason why it's not supposed to. We're supposed to need other people to keep us in a, in a place where we can abide in Christ together and grow together. You're not supposed to be able to just skip out on church and people for a few weeks and be okay with Christ. It doesn't work like that. So I don't say that as much like, you should come back to church more often. Maybe that the Holy Spirit's telling you that. I'm telling you, I'm saying, that's why you're struggling. You're no better than me, I'm guessing. It's not supposed to work like that. So it's okay. You're okay. You just need me, and I need you. That's how we draw together and lift up a spirit of awe with Christ together. We stir each other up. Now, real quickly, I want to mention something before I get to the other two, something that's not on this list. I didn't, I actually took off my list giving and generosity. You see in verse 44 and 45, they were selling their possessions, belongings, distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. Here's why I took that off the list because that giving thing was no different than their fellowship thing. It was not a separate thing. When believers shared their lives together, money was just understandably supposed to be a part of the deal. And so you might ask, "Well, Peter, why do you still teach tithing here? The reason I still teach tithing is I think tithing should be a necessary minimum of the church life that we found our lives on and we received the blessing of God on and we still continue to aspire to the type of togetherness and blessing that God gives in the New Testament. I've heard people say before, you know, tithing tithing isn't uh, taught much in the New Testament. It's not taught in the New Testament. That's Old Testament stuff. Um, well, first of all, that's not true. Uh, Jesus does say you should not neglect. He's, so, he's correcting Pharisees, so you shouldn't neglect the former things like tithing, but also get to the heart of the matter. But, but second, I've never actually heard someone say New Testament give, you know doesn't talk about tithing, New Testament, and, and, and actually be people that live and give like the New Testament. Because if, it was, if they're talking about the New Testament, It'd be people who are doing more than tithing and not less than tithing. Does that make sense? But rarely, I've never met a person who's like, man, the New Testament talks about, doesn't talk about tithing. And that's why I like, I live in a, in a commune with other people and give everything away. I've never actually heard people a little closer to the New Testament. Often, here's the reason why it's connected to fellowship, That I mention this. I think it's a problem when we disconnect our giving to our community because it's an, it's an indicator that we're treating the church like another business that we frequent. Like it's another thing of, that we're trying to be kind of... Church is just kind of a part of our life instead of us being part of the church. We treat the church like an organization or like, honestly, more accurately, like a restaurant that we kind of go to. It's like you go to a restaurant and you tip for service... Don't tip God. God wants you to tithe, but he wants you to do so much more. He wants your life to be intimately connected to other people. And you're giving to be indicative of your faith. And you're living and you're giving to not be in contrast with one another. Last thing I see on this list, there was praise and there was favor. They praised God together and it was loud and it was raucous. And there was favor with other people who saw the way they praised, the way they lived. And they said, this makes me uncomfortable, but this intrigues me. And there was new life. The the kind of favor it was was evangelistic favor. That's why it says the next sentence that, uh, that God added to their number daily those who were being saved. So where do we go from here? If you're on this, when I look at this scripture that I've said before, I look at this church and say, this is, I beautifully see our church representing so much of this, and yet I see where our church, and particularly myself, is lacking on this. So what do I do? Do I, do I check out until things are just a little easier to be more like this? No. If you see flaws in this church as it relates to this, or if you see flaws in yourself it should be all the more reason to commit yourself with all your flaws more to the people of God and ask God to grow you so we can look more like this. There was a, uh, there was this, a, a verse from uh, Sublime. I don't, as your pastor, I don't, I don't suggest that you listen to Sublime, but I'll show you one redeemable line from one of my childhood bands. Uh, that's pretty intriguing for this. He says, well, life is too short, so love the one you've got. Because you might get run over or you might get shot. Uh, (laughs) Which, all of that is true, and most of it is helpful, uh, especially the first part. But here's the thing. When it comes to spouses and partners, I think most of us spend too much time loving the ideas of the person that we love rather than loving the persons themselves. And likewise, far too many Christians are committed to the ideal church fellowship that they've dreamed up in their heads or how it should look in America today rather than loving the church God's placed them in. So, y'all, life's too short. So love the church you've got because Jesus is alive and he'll help you. And so as we go to prayer, I just want you to ask the Holy Spirit, what, what do I need to do today? If, if, you're gonna, if you accept me where I am, but you don't want me to stay where I am, what's one step of faith that I can take that you can help me with today? Uh, as we pray for you, it, it might be that the Holy Spirit says that you need to just invite someone else to lunch today. Like before you get out of here, you just say, hey, we need to talk. Um, you might need to write a check. You can make all checks out to the springs. Um, Laughter That might be you. Uh, You you might need to stay after service and just sit up front and praise God and praise him and go ahead and be loud so other people get uncomfortable. That's okay. You might need to go through the purple book with a friend and say, hey, I'll meet you every Wednesday and Friday, whatever it is. So, Lord, we ask that you would help us to know uh, what we're missing out on.